praise. Hallelujah. Lord, we welcome you into this house. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings, Lord God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. If you want to remain standing, we'll get ready to go into the word of the Lord. I'm thankful for the opportunity to once again minister to you. I don't take it for granted. Uh, there are several others that uh, are able to preach and can do an outstanding job. So um, I just, I don't take it for granted when the pastor asks me to minister to his flock when he leaves. Amen. That to me is a, uh, uh, an honor. It's a true honor that he would put his trust in me, his confidence in me when he is gone to allow me to minister in word. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. Amen. If you're joining us online, we welcome you. That's 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. If you have it, say amen. It says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Amen. If you want to put down your Bibles, we'll go before the Lord in prayer for this message. God, I thank you. I thank you for this word that you've given me, Lord God. I, I pray, Lord, that you would impart into somebody the things that you've given me, Lord. I pray, Lord, you put this burden upon them, God, that they would choose to serve you, Lord God, in the best way that they can, Lord. That, that you would move on their hearts, Lord, convict them, Lord, and help them to change, God, not to remain the same they, that they came, Lord, but to, to leave a different way, God. And we'll give you all the praise for what you're doing in advance. In Jesus' name, let's give the Lord a good hand cap. And you may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tonight I want to speak to you on silencing your godly influence. I believe this message is going to apply to many, if not all of us, in some aspect of it. Um, I want to give honor to my parents tonight, too. I don't want to leave that out. I, I don't get to see them anymore about maybe once a year. Uh, I'm glad to have them here from Indiana. I drove them back with me. That way they'll have to stay a couple weeks at least. Because <laughs> I'm not ready to go anywhere. <laughs> That's a long trip. <laughs> but uh, I'm thankful to have them. And it just so happened. I didn't know I was going to be ministering. And uh, Pastor V asked me Sunday evening. And we were on our way back from Indiana. Of course, I'm going to take the opportunity to do so, so it's a blessing for them to be able to see me minister live, and uh, I'm thankful for them and the godly example they've always given me. Amen. But uh, I, want to, I want to preface what I have to say by telling you that I have not been paid. <laughs> I've not been asked to say it, and I'm not looking for brownie points, nor am I trying to gain any special favor. But how many here know that we have an awesome pastor? Yeah, there we go, yeah. How many here know that he hears directly from the Lord? Amen, amen. How many here know that he has our best interest at heart and would never want to leave us astray, lead us astray? Amen. Now, you might be wondering, are these trick questions? Well, 
Yes, they are. They might be, but yes, they are. Yeah, they are. Trick questions. And because you admit to yourself tonight that you know that he is a true man of God, you know he's not going to lead you astray. You know that when he preaches to you, it's directly from the word of God, imparted by a message that's been given to him with the anointing and power of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, we live in a world that is full of influences, most of which are negative or bad influence, influences, and some are influenced by the media, some by social media to believe one way or another. Some are influenced by their political leanings, whether for the right or for the left, and if you're not right, you might get left. You can laugh. That was supposed to be, never mind. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Some are influenced by Hollywood. Some are influenced by TV shows or the movies that they watch. Some are influenced by the music they listen to. But I want to be one that is influenced by, mostly by what I hear being preached from the Word of God. If the influences of the world pull at you more than the Word of God, it's time to check yourselves and get yourself back under subjection to the Holy Ghost. This world will lead you astray, but the Word of God will never lead you astray. The Word of God will lead you to life everlasting. If you're wanting to follow after somebody, if you're wanting to be influenced by somebody, make sure it's the man of God. Make sure it's by the Word of God and by the Spirit of truth. Amen? Hallelujah. I truly believe in holiness. And I believe it's a matter of the heart. That being said, if someone can't see you in a crowd and know that you must be apostolic, well, maybe you aren't. The heart of a true apostolic seeks to please God. Is there a separation from the world in the way I act? Is there a separation from the world in the way I dress? Is there a separation from the world in the way I look? Is there a separation from the world in the places I go or the things that I do? The heart of an apostolic says, I don't want to let my good be evil spoken of. I want to please God in purity of spirit and in the beauty of holiness. It truly is a matter of the heart. And I say that because a lot of people that scoff at holiness say it's, it's only what is in your heart. Well, if your heart's right, it's going to show on the outside. And I'm not here to preach holiness. That's not what I'm about tonight. I'm not going to do that. But I, I want to bring that point out to make, to, to make a point of what I'm getting into. It is when rebellion slips into our heart that we begin to question our spiritual, spiritual authority. We begin to question the motives of the man of God. We question our convictions. We question holiness as nothing but, oh, that's just legalism or that's just man's ideology. Never giving mind to a pastor that's being a shepherd with a heart of God. But God chose to give us pastors to be the very anointed oracle of God. They are the watchmen on the wall that is crying out a warning that danger lurks nearby. God didn't give them to us to be authoritarians. He gave us pastors to help keep us safe from the enemy, to feed our spirits, and to lead us in spiritual truths. Amen. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel 15 and 1 through 3, it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto thou, unto the hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way 
when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Say all. All that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. That to me sounds like all. Amen. Here we see that God gave King Saul a direct commandment from Samuel, the prophet of God. If the heart of Saul was right, he would obey the man of God. Well, let's see what he did. In verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag. He was the king of the Amalekites. And the best of the sheep. Hmm. And of the oxen. And of the fatlings. And the lambs. And all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set, up, set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That lying hypocrite. <laughs> the man of God told him to kill everything, destroy it all. And here he is saying, Yeah, I've, I've done everything you told me to do. Some people would have you believe they are living right. I'm, I'm doing right. They say all the right things, and while at church or in front of the man of God, they try to act the right way. But when they leave or they go back to the world, they live, they look, and they act just like the world. And Samuel said in verse 14, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the ox, lowing of the ox which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy, thy God. You notice that? Saul, the mighty anointed king of Israel, at one time prophesied with the prophets, is now saying, thy God. Talking to Samuel, saying, the Lord thy God. What happened to my God? And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Well, say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. You notice that? I mean, he just got pointed out the things that he didn't do to obey the voice of the Lord. But yet he turns around and says, Yeah, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. And it brought Agag, the king of Amalek. Wait, he wasn't supposed to do that. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, now he's blaming somebody else. But the people took of the spoil 
sheep and oxen, the chief of these things, which should have been utterly destroyed. He even admitted they should have utterly been destroyed, but the people did it. It wasn't me. To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I could stop there and it preached good enough for the rest of the message. Because we all hold on to a little bit of stubbornness. We all hold on to a little bit of idolatry, the things that you put before God. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And he admits it now. Yeah, he admits it. And thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Well, you wonder why so many pastors today are led astray because they let somebody in the crowd that may have a little influence, the wrong influence, maybe they have a little money, say, Pastor, if you don't do this, then I'll, I'll give you a little extra money. And they're influenced by that evil. But I'm thankful I have a pastor that's going to stay the line. He's not going to bury it. Amen. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Now we find here that King Saul had rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected his godly influence. And he decided, and he decided to do things his own way. I'm going to do it my way. I'll, I'll agree with you. I'm going to do some of the things you, that God told me to do. In fact, I'll do the things that God told me to do. But there are certain things I'm not going to let go of. What Saul considered to be honorable in his own mind was disobedient and contrary to what the word of the Lord was. We try to justify the things in this old flesh that it wants to do by obeying some of what we hear preached, but not completely yielding to the man of God and what he preaches as a whole. Amen? Saul now finds that he has been rejected by God and that his kingdom has been torn from him and given to another. Saul has silenced his godly influence. In 1 Samuel 15 and 23, it says, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Third time I'm reading this. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now, at the end of Saul's reign as king, he begins to seek the word of God because the Philistines has come upon them, and he was afraid. But Samuel, the man of God, his godly influence is now dead. So Saul goes to the witch of Endor. She's, she know, she's been known as somebody, and he had put the witches out of Israel, but they said he was seeking a word from the Lord, from Samuel, in fact. And someone told her, there's, well, there's a, a woman of the spirits over in Endor, the witch of Endor. So he decides to hide his face and go to see this woman because he needed to hear from the Lord. And so he went to her so she could conjure up the spirit of Samuel. 
And as the scripture says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You notice that? Samuel himself said rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Now his rebellion had led him down a road to witchcraft for his answers. In the end, Saul lost his sons in the battle and his own life. But the saddest part of this story is that at the death of King Saul, it was a young Amalekite who killed Saul. The very people who Saul was commanded by the word of the prophet Samuel to completely destroy was the very cause of his death. And I want to ask you, what, it is, what is it in your life that you refuse to destroy? When the man of God preaches to you and you know it's anointed, you know it's the word of God, what are you holding on to in your life that you refuse to destroy because that may just be the very thing that's going to destroy you in the end. That may cause you to backslide. Never silence your godly influence. Never silence your godly influence. Hallelujah. Now I want to go to the New Testament and we're going to talk about Stephen for just a little bit. Now, Stephen, Stephen, we know, is the first martyr of Christianity. Um, in Acts 6, 1 through 5, if you want to follow along, it'll be right back there. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, these were busy men of God. They had to preach. They had to devote their whole entire lives to everything, all the, all the other nations and, and cities. And, and they didn't have time to deal with the people at home. And they needed somebody to help out. District ministries, uh, city ministry, you know, whatever. They needed somebody to help out to keep. It, it says it like this, the, uh, the widows. And it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Permenus and Nicholas and proselyte of Ant a proselyte of Antius. Now, we really have never heard much of any of those others except for Stephen and maybe Philip. But Stephen was specifically known as a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 6, verses 8 through 13, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. It was the Holy Ghost. They couldn't resist it. They knew it was of God, but they couldn't resist it. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people. Oh, we all know somebody like that, don't we? When the man of God starts to speak, and you know it's true, 
it gets on them just a little bit and they start to stir things up, say, I don't believe what he's saying. What about you? you I mean, we don't have to do all that. You know those type of people. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him, brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man causeth not to speak blasphemy. This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. When the word of God is spoken, it will always conflict with this flesh. There are always those that are influenced mainly by their flesh and will lash out against the preaching of the man of God. And in Acts 7, 51 through 60, he's still talking about Stephen here. He's preaching to these people. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now notice. Notice that Stephen ridiculed the Jews for turning a deaf ear to the Holy Ghost and to ignoring the prophets who foretold of the coming of the just one, just like their fathers did. And now verse 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. It was conviction. They know he's right. I know he's right. They were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't want to hear true doctrine. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin, tear their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. A conviction hurts when you aren't ready to surrender. You're holding on to things. It hurts. You stepped on my toes. You latched out. You lash out against it. And if you aren't careful, you completely destroy the voice of God in your life. Be careful not to speak against the pastor or your bishop and their teaching or their preaching. It is obedience to their preaching of the word that is going to get you to heaven. Repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and living a life of holiness is still the only way to heaven. Don't ever turn your back on true doctrine. Don't reject it. Don't silence the godly influences in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, there's, this one has always bothered me. We'll consider Judas. One of the 12 original apostles, one of the disciples that followed Jesus, rather. We know that Judas was handpicked. He was chosen to follow Jesus. He handled the money bag of the disciples. He was the treasurer. Something God saw in him. He saw potential in Judas. I did a little studying on him, and, and he was considered to be probably the smartest, the most intelligent of all of them. God trusted him to minister to others. 
In fact, he called him friend at one point when he was about to betray him. In Matthew 10 and verse 7 through 10, it says, And as you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Now he's telling his disciples to do this. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey. Neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. He gave them power. He said, don't even worry about anything. I'm going to take care of everything. You don't have to bring nothing with you. Just go and preach the gospel and see how I bless you. Heal those that are sick. Raise the dead. Do everything I did. You got that power. He commanded them, go. Jesus had given his disciples the power to do all these miracles. Judas had seen and done mighty miracles, the same ones he just spoke of. Jesus, these are just a few that he had witnessed. I'm, I'm going to read you a few of them that Jesus did, that, that Judas was most likely there witnessing and watching. Jesus cured the nobleman's son. The great hall of fishes. They brought in a great, huge hall of fishes. Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. Jesus cured Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Jesus healed a leper. Jesus healed the centurion's servant. Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. Jesus stilled the storm. Jesus cured two demoniacs. Jesus cured the, the paralytic, the, man with the, the person with paralysis. Jesus raised the ruler's daughter from the dead. Jesus cured a woman of an issue of blood. Jesus opened the eyes of two blind men. Jesus loosened the tongue of a man who could not speak. Jesus healed an invalid man. At the pool called Bethesda, Jesus restored a withered hand. Jesus cured a demon-possessed man. Jesus fed at least 5,000 people. Jesus healed a woman of Canaan. Jesus cured a deaf and a mute man. Jesus fed at least 4,000 people. Jesus opened the eyes of a blind man. Jesus cured a boy who was plagued by a demon. Jesus opened the eyes of a man born blind again. Jesus cured a woman who had been afflicted 18 years. Jesus cured a man of dropsy. Jesus cleansed ten lepers. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus opened the eyes of the two blind men. Jesus caused the fig tree to wither. Jesus restored the ears of the high priest's servant. And Judas was there to witness all of this. And even was told, you can do the same thing, go. And now, Jesus released this power. Go and do it, go do it. But even while witnessing all these miracles, perhaps even doing them himself, Judas was still influenced by his flesh. Somewhere, somehow, Judas began to let evil thoughts to creep into his mind. Maybe it was at the times while ministering that he grew tired of wondering where his next meal would come or where he might lay his head to rest at night. I don't know when or how, but somewhere in his life, he began to let hurtful or lustful feelings for wealth begin to creep into his mind. Or maybe it was a lust for power, being the one to turn in Jesus and the notoriety that would come as being the whistleblower. Whatever it may have been, day after day and week after week, those thoughts began to build and build in his mind until they completely consumed him. He knew that the chief priests and elders had been waiting for the right time to take Jesus into custody. And Judas had begun to quiet 
the voice of God in his life. He began to destroy the influence that Jesus had over him. Matthew 26 and verses 7 through 16. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it and they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye this woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a mere memorial of her. And I'm telling you again, I'm preaching it tonight because she had a heart of worship. And she said, I don't care how much this costs. My God is worthy of my praise. And I'm going to break this box of oil. And I'm going to wash his head and wash his feet with my hair because she knew the value of praise and she knew the value of worship. Hallelujah. It seems that, that Judas was probably the instigator in complaining about the worship this woman was bringing to Jesus. There will always be scoffers who ridicule people for the way they worship. There will always be someone jealous that you give more than they do in offerings. It convicts their heart. It makes them feel that they aren't doing enough. And it makes them mad. I don't know why. Just, just start doing it. <laughs> you see them being blessed. You see what they're doing. Well, copy and do it. <laughs> makes sense to me. I, I watch somebody give a lot of money, and I watch them be blessed. Well, let me try that. That would make sense to me. But there are people that scoff against that kind of thing. But I'm telling you, ignore the scoffers. Keep giving. Keep worshiping. They can't steal your blessings from doing so. They can only destroy the influence that God has over their lives by doing so. Listen to verse 14 now. It says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, so it was him, it was him, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, Wait. Will you give me, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. Talking about Jesus. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he saw opportunity to betray him. Now the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now we know that Judas was the treasurer of the 12 disciples. Maybe it was his love for money of which the Bible says in 1 Timothy, Timothy 6 and 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Are you influenced by money? Are you influenced by the love, the lust for money? The almighty dollar, they call it. Working way too much when you know you should be at the house of God. Well, I got to get this thing done. When you know you should be at the house of God. I expected to be quiet, I guess, through that point. But have you, have you silenced that godly influence in your life? What is it that you place more value in than your walk with God? 
Now I'm coming to a close here shortly. People have often asked me through the years how that I have been able to raise godly children. Do you really want to know the secret? It's not really a secret. But do you really want to know? It's really nothing that I do specifically other than being faithful. I attribute it to being faithful. Be faithful to what is preached and taught by our pastor and our bishop. Be faithful in giving tithes and offerings. Be faithful to the standards they put in place. Not a standard placed by an authoritarian, but by a man of God who is watching out for our very soul. By a man of God who sees the dangers of living a certain way and looking a certain way. Be faithful to your family and to your church. Be faithful to training your children how to worship. Show them how to worship. Show them how to pray. Show them how to be involved in the work of the Lord. Be faithful to prayer and Bible reading. And never, ever, never speak against the godly influence in your life. I've watched my whole life people who, for one reason or another, they find it more convenient to do things on their, their, in their own way. I'll just I'll do it my way. And silence the godly influence in their lives. I watch as their family grows older and choose not to live for God. They struggle with finances because of their lack of giving. They struggle with worldliness because they won't hold a standard. They become unfaithful to the house of God. They silence the godly influencers in their lives. And years later, they look back and wonder and ask why their lives are so torn apart. Why did, that, why did they end up in divorce? They don't understand. Why did they end up in divorce? Why are their children lost? What did I do? What? Why has their life fallen to pieces? Why is everything not working as I thought it would or as I, I planned for it to do? I was living for God, but I'm doing it my way. And you wonder why you lose everything. I can tell you right now, that's probably one of the pastors and, and bishops' hardest things to go through is watching families disobey the things that they preach and then years later have to deal with their lost children who are or maybe in drugs or alcohol or, or who knows whatever it is. And they're thinking, I, I, if only you had done what I had preached and what I had taught you when you were young, you wouldn't have to deal with this thing over and over but you won't listen. You're going to do it your own way. I'm telling you, it's not because they're authoritarian. It's because they know by the Spirit of Almighty God that if you'll live this way, you'll have a chance to make it. If you'll be faithful to this, your children can make it. And then they turn around and you watch you go away. And it just, it, I know it has to hurt their heart because it hurts me to watch it happen. And there's nothing it seems that you can do about it. All you can do is preach it. You can't force somebody to live for God. You can't silence the voice of God in your life and expect to succeed in your walk with God.
It doesn't work like that. We have to crucify the flesh and the desires of our fleshly nature and follow the voice of God. We have to walk in His will and according to His scriptures. John 3 and 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Is that your prayer tonight? He must increase, but I must decrease. If you'll stand with me. It's not always easy to do this. It takes effort to crucify this flesh and to live after the Spirit. Does this mean we won't mess up? Oh, no. No, I'm, I'm by far not perfect. I can tell you that. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know what the difference between a backslider and a saint is? And I was reminded of this by Brother, Brother Brian Hall the other night. Didn't even remember saying it. He said it. I said it in the live group. But it, it was so good I have to put it in this message. <laughs> Not that I came up with it. It must have been God speaking through me at that moment because I don't remember saying it. But do you know what the difference between a backslider and a saint is? Both may fall. Both are going to fall. But the saint doesn't stay down. When they fall, they get back up and keep pressing on. The backslider stays down and never gets back up. You've got to keep pressing on. In Proverbs 24 and 16, it says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now some may say, but I don't think it takes all that. God doesn't require us to do all that. But this is your flesh. This is your flesh trying to justify your lifestyle without having to change or do anything different. Be careful what you speak. You may be destroying your godly influence in your life. Proverbs 18 and 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Be careful what you say. James 3 and 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Be careful what you say. When you speak openly and in front of your children against the man of God, you are destroying any godly influence that they may have with them. You are in effect saying that what the man of God says is not important to you. And therefore, it won't be to them. Well, mom and daddy says, I don't have to do that. So I don't have to do that. They don't mean nothing to me. God, I hope somebody's getting something from this tonight. When you miss church because you had frivolous plans for something else, you put your soul and the souls of your children in danger. You can't come to church because it's the only time you have to do whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Some people have the lamest excuses in the world. I heard the other day somebody missed church because their animal was sick or something. I'm like, whatever. I mean, it's in the heart. If you don't want to come to church, you're not going to come to church. It's a matter of the heart. Don't destroy your children's future and their chance for salvation. Proverbs 14 and 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
Living what is right in your own mind won't get you to heaven. I'm telling you, you think I can make it just by being as good as I could possibly be without actually having to do what the pastor and what the Word of God says. You're not going to make it. If you're the one saying, I don't have to obey what is preached. I don't have to change. This is how I've always done things. Just like those that Stephen preached to, you are stoning the godly influence in your life. Don't be like that. Don't be like King Saul and say, I will do what the man of God says, but only in those things I think are necessary. This kind of thinking destroys your godly influence. It will destroy your walk with God and your children's future walk with God. If you are the one who who has been ignoring the teachings of your pastor or your man of God, you need to repent. Don't wait. You need to repent tonight. Learn to live in obedience to God's written and spoken word. Make things right with the Lord. Don't keep ignoring that voice of conviction in your mind. Conviction is God's way of telling you the things you need to change in your life. If you keep ignoring conviction, you will become numb to it. And you will lose your soul. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, is there somebody that will come to the altar? God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for putting things before you, Lord. I'm sorry, God, for holding on to things that I know I shouldn't do. Oh, are you silencing your godly influence tonight? Oh, God, we need you. Oh, move in the hearts of your people tonight, God. Move in the hearts of your people, Lord. Help them to come with a a pure heart and a pure mind the made up mind that I'm not going to live like that anymore I know the pastor preaches this I better line up I don't want to be lost I don't want to be lost hallelujah oh bring it to the Lord don't silence your godly influence tonight
Sunday morning. It'll be a men's breakfast at 8 o'clock Sunday morning here. So if you're all men, um, if you have any symptoms of the COVID virus or you're sick and you don't feel comfortable coming back just yet, we will still be full capacity Sunday morning at 10 and Sunday evening at 6.30. So please come join us. It'll be an awesome time in the Holy Ghost. Amazing music and awesome word. So why don't we lift our hands and our voices one more time before we are dismissed in this place. God, I love you. God, I thank you for this word we heard tonight, God. God, I hope it gets down deep in our heart and our soul, God, and it continues to touch us daily. God, keep your hand of protection upon everybody in this sanctuary, God. God, everyone watching live so they can come back to service and be in your presence one more time on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. God, I thank you and I worship you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed at this time.